What's up with Jessup? It's the only way to wake up. We state our views, state facts, and then afterwards we make up from politics, business to lifestyle. Let's get this. Jessup Jong knows all the facts. He has no missed list. This podcast is your place for breaking news and hot takes. It's the only way to wake up. What's up with Jessup? Welcome back to What's Up with Jessup. This episode, we will be talking about the writing process for an academic article or a piece of writing that you're writing for school. Um, The part that I am working on is actually the writings that you don't use in your academic writings. So the parts that you take out and the parts that are no longer relevant to your main point. Um, You probably have a stage of brain dumping where you try to write any and all kinds of ideas that you have about the academic article and then after reviewing it once or twice you might realize that the part that you wrote might not be relevant anymore so you just take that part out Um, but it's it's hard because it's a creative process you think that the parts that you wrote are important and they are they're great ideas of themselves but it just doesn't fit it just doesn't fit in the broader narrative of the paper and in order to have a paper that's concise you know you can write a book that's 700 pages but no one will really read it so in order to make it really concise to the point short you have to take parts out that's not as relevant so this is my process of going through it i met with my faculty advisor Um, he told me that i should shorten the first chapter from 28 pages to 10 so that's a lot almost half if not less than less than uh, one half so almost one-third one-third of my original chapter I had to cut down and that was a brutal process because you just take out pretty much large chunks of things that you've spent a lot of time on Uh, especially for me this past 28 pages was pretty much what I worked on last semester for at least two months, if not three months, so that's harsh. Uh, But uh, for me, my professor who is my faculty advisor is different from the professor who helped me with my thesis colloquium class, uh, who really helped and graded the class itself last semester, and then this faculty advisor really approves the thesis so I have to adjust and uh, change the thesis according to the demands of the professor so that's what I'm doing Um, and one way of making it easier to take this part out uh, things that you know are no longer relevant is really mourning it Um, (laughs) people might think of you know your paper as your baby uh, you know and I don't want to draw too bad of a picture but um, it's like losing a friend or like something that you've worked 
hard on. Uh, and, you know, having a process of letting that go might be actually very uh, useful for you too. So this is my part. Um, I have at least like 12 pages worth of stuff that I take, took out and I'll, I'm just going to be talking about it here so that uh, you listeners can also listen to these ideas, uh, think of them and tell me what you think. So the first chart that I took out of my um, paper was dividing the impact of a divide, of a political divide, uh, whether this political divide was useful, harmful, or, you know, inconsequential. So I made a two by three kind of rubric. It's a, it's a graph matrix, if you might say. Um, political scientists love these. I heard uh, two by twos are the standard where you would have, you know, uh, the x-axis, something is true, something is not true, y-axis, something is true, something is not true, and then you would analyze them in that four possibilities. So I did something similar. I said, uh, when a divide exists, a political divide, versus when a political divide does not exist. And I looked at the performance metric. Um, did the two communities that are divided perform worse, just the same, or better? And so if I divide them up, I say, in the situation that there was a divide, if the performance metric was lower, you know that the divide was harmful because, I mean, you don't know about the causation, but you at least know the correlation and association that when there's more divide or less cooperation, there is uh, a lower performance metric. Therefore, the divide is harmful, right? Uh, on the other hand, if the divide when there was a divide, there's no change, you can know that maybe the divide is not even impactful or consequential because there was no change. So the divide is an independent factor uh, in mathematical terms, but it just is not important. And then the other last part is that when there's a divide, uh, performance metrics are higher. Then you would say, wow, actually, it's helpful <laughs> to be divided. It's helpful to fight politically because it uh, improves the performance metrics of uh, each society or both. So that is the graph I had. I thought it's uh, very useful in thinking about things, uh, especially in this time era in which political polarization divide is uh, at its highest, I would say, and a lot of people would think uh, whether this political divide is useful, um, harmful, or inconsequential. And I don't have a valid judgment on the current or even on the issue I study, which is North Korea. Uh, the, the point of this graph is to point out that, you know, the possibilities exist for all three and I guess six in the matrices uh, in saying that, you know, the divide can be can be useful and can be inconsequential depending on the performance metrics. So you do not have an opinion. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, at least in this academic article, your opinions do not matter. It's really about the numbers and what it really demonstrates.
So that's one part um, that I talked about in the paper. I think it's a pretty <laughs> good idea, but uh, maybe it's not as relevant uh, in the paper. And also, I didn't have enough space, so I just took it out. It's The graph is really big. I might add it in the appendix, but yeah, morning it. Uh, I think it definitely helped me think about the issue more. Um, we were a good friend. It was helpful. Just got to let you go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, and in the introduction. So my professor wanted me to have the paper accessible to all uh, kinds of readers so that, you know, even if you don't have a good grasp on what I'm talking about, you could easily understand it. So that's what I wanted to do. So I wrote two paragraphs um, in my paper and I can read it to you. Um, but the purpose of this was to say, hey, if you are a layman or if you are just a normal person who doesn't really have a specific interest in my issue or topic, which is North Korea, uh, what would you think about it so that it makes the approach easier, so that it makes the writing itself more accessible? Turns out, didn't really work out. Um, <laughs> this took a lot of time, you know. It took me at least probably like four hours uh, to write it, think about it. Um, actually, a little bit more than that. You know, it just takes me a lot of time to write it. <sighs> it might be because I have just too many inhibitions. Um, I try to make it too perfect. And, you know, it doesn't actually matter if it's uh, perfect or not because it might just not be relevant. So... If you're struggling with uh, perfectionism uh, in your writing part, I've also had a podcast episode called The Paperclip Method, where you uh, break down your writing process into smaller chunks so that it's more easy. It's easier for you to get started. Uh, and it's not really about perfection, but rather about speed, getting things done, and then reviewing it again so that you can have a fresh pair of eyes, uh, get a more impartial unbiased viewpoint of your writing uh, which will be more productive for you rather than spending you know two to four hours on a short paragraph that will and may be uh, taken out so I'll read you the two paragraphs first paragraph is most people are probably familiar with the consistent messaging of human humanitarian aid on television advertisements during times of disaster when groups such as Red Cross UNICEF or Samaritan's Purse hand out food and water. I'll cut here. So this is the first sentence. Um, I'm kind of deconstructing what I was thinking about here. First thing is most people are probably familiar with. Um, you know, this is probably not the best opening because uh, I can't really assume what most people are thinking. Uh, and so maybe that's why the first approach itself was not that great. Um, but at least for me, I know that I've seen this consistent messaging on television advertisements. You've seen it too. Um, UNICEF or, you know, there's a hurricane. There is an earthquake. Um, there are advertisements of people starving, usually children, uh, women, uh, vulnerable populations, not having access to basic needs like uh, food, water. And um, this advertisement really evokes your emotions and says, this child is in dire need 
of your help, uh, humanitarian aid, and you know draws this very um, touching story for you know a minute, two minutes, and then after the very end and throughout the advertisement, there is a number you can call, say, donate now, um, and that's the call to action. So that was the emotion and. I guess somewhat common experience I was trying to draw on. Did it work? Did it not work? I don't know. You know, but one of the advisors I was talking with or the writing consultants, like people who helped me write, uh, were saying, you know, maybe this is not as relevant. So, took it out. No worries. Um, and, you know, there's always the possibility of bringing it back. And then... I talk, tackled human rights. I think this was a harder issue for me because I don't know what people think about when they talk about human rights. It's such a broad topic. Um, there's not really a consistent messaging. It, you know, spans so many different areas. So I thought of it as uh, two different areas. The domestic politics, how human rights is used in domestic politics versus how human rights is used in foreign countries, in uh, diplomacy. It's very different because domestic in the United States, when you think about human rights, it's usually about racial issues. So like, you know, every person has the human right to do something, have the freedoms that everyone else is having. Uh, an example is, you know, the slavery and um, I guess racial discrimination, even if it's not against African-Americans, but also Asian-Americans and uh, Latino community and things like that so the racial part is probably uh, a big factor um, the sexual discrimination so probably against uh, homosexuality or um, any other non I guess binary uh, gender um, having discriminations against that um, human rights is evoked a lot uh, for this issue as well as religious discrimination. So you've seen a lot of um, maybe, you know, everyone has the right to freedom or, or freedom to uh, religion. Uh, and so if someone is uh, discriminated against because they are Muslim or, um, I don't know, any other uh, religion, human rights is often evoked. And so that's what I say. In contrast, and this is the writing, I say, in contrast, comma, Human rights can evoke a large range of issues, including racial, comma, sexual, and religious discrimination in domestic politics. In the case of human rights violations in other countries, people are pr also probably familiar with criticisms against dictatorships by groups such as the UN, Human Rights Watch, or Amnesty International. So, uh, pause here again. This is a very interesting distinction where I say, you know, human rights is used in a completely different manner, almost. At least to me it is. Different manner uh, for countries outside of the United States. When you're looking at diplomacy, foreign policy, human rights violations are usually evoked for countries that are uh, operating under non-democratic regimes or dictatorships. And so you would imagine uh, North Korea, Iran, um, maybe Syria, uh, sometimes Saudi Arabia, 
uh, things like that. So uh, you always imagine um, a country being criticized in the legislature, so in Congress, or in um, at the UN, at the international arena, uh, things like that, where you see ambassadors criticizing a country for allowing human rights violations to continue. And another example is Myanmar. Um, any kind of human rights violation, these uh, organizations like the United Nations, Human Rights Watch, and Amnesty International would be working on these issues. So that's a very interesting distinction. I think it might be because I might know too much about human rights or I might uh, have maybe uh, a biased viewpoint because I worked at a human rights organization that works on foreign policy rather than the actual human rights issues in domestic politics. So that might be the distinction I'm making because of my background. But yeah, those were the three uh, sentences I wrote about you know the, a paragraph that allows readers to find the article more accessible. I don't know. Did it work? Did it not work? I'll leave a comment um, or let me know. Send me an email. Um, but I have more. There's just so much more to talk about. Um, but it's already been 15 minutes, so I'll read the next paragraph or n other like uh, ideas in a different episode. <sighs> Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you go through the writing process for your paper because this really breaks down the thinking process for me of how I wrote these paragraphs, how I decided they're not relevant, um, how I process uh, taking them out uh, because I put them in a different document that says parts taken out or you know no longer needed so far or th this paper uh, where it's still there it's not gonna go anywhere you know your effort was not in vain hopefully um, <laughs> I'm still working on that part but it's still there it's on record and especially if I'm talking about it on the episode it means that it has some value and it has a lot of value of talking about it. It's just in this paper for this per, uh, specific assignment, it wasn't the right place and therefore I took it out. So that helps me process it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time.